Welcome to March's Legacy Systems Insights, sponsored by Lidos. Now, here's your host, John Gilroy. Welcome and thanks for joining us. My guest today is Doug Barton, Senior Vice President, Chief Technology Officer and Chief Engineer, Lidos Health. How are you, Doug? Well, thank you. Good to be here. Well, you know, I've uh, done a lot of interviews on Federal News Radio over the last decade, and uh, there's very few interviews that touch millions and millions of people. And this is an interview that's really going to touch so many millions of people. We talk about uh, defense health management system modernization, and some people call this, uh, they call this uh, dim sum, I think is what it's called. That's right. uh, I'll just start off with the obvious question here. There was a previous system that made a transition. So why was a decision made to modernize the legacy MH Health clinical support system? Well, there were several reasons. Uh, number one, the three primary systems, uh, CHCS Alta and Acentris, acronym SOUP, had been around for decades, and it was becoming more and more burdensome to maintain those things to current clinical standards, number one. Number two, particularly subsequent to the HITECH Act and the Affordable Care Act, that it puts substantial amounts of funding into the development of commercial electronic health record systems, or EHRs, And having done so, the technology in those commercial systems started to expand rapidly, and it was really creating opportunity for the department to have access to these advanced capabilities that were being built into commercial systems, and they couldn't begin to think to provide funding for a unique system of their own to to keep up with that change in technology. So those were the primary two reasons. I've uh, worked with a lot of software developers on... uh big-scale medical projects, mostly longitudinal studies with morbidity, mortality rates. And talk about the four Ps. They used to talk about this. They'd say, uh, pre-planning prevents peril. (laughs) And so so what about pre-planning and making this transition? Where does that fit in? Well, there's a number of risk items that we look at. And by the way, Lidos um, is a large commercial implementer of EHR systems. We're the largest third-party implementer in the U.S., And so health is health, even in the DOD, uh, across both commercial and the DOD. It's always first and foremost clinician adoption. So you need to work with the clinical community so that they're accustomed to and willing to adopt the system that you provide first and foremost. Second, there's the question which is in the news, frankly, about interoperability. Uh, The DOD has interoperability channels, challenges with systems that are inside the DOD, but also 60% of their care is uh, provided by commercial entities. And so there's, uh, yes, 60%. So they really have to to work to interoperate clinically with commercial hospital systems and provider practices, not just with internal DOD systems. And number three, there's the issue of cybersecurity or information assurance. Uh, And while that's a challenge generally in healthcare, given the HIPAA privacy and security regulations, um, and the need to protect protected health information, or PHI, you know, the DOD is somewhat more of a target because they have a fourth mission beyond access, clinical care, and cost, and that's really medical readiness. And so if you can see the health status of a large number of, you know, soldiers, sailors, and airmen, you might be able to discern something about the medical readiness status of the units in which they participate, which is clearly a, a security concern. And so a higher level of care or standard of cybersecurity diligence is imposed upon the system as a result. So, so we're talking about, you know, um, 9.6 million DOD beneficiaries in a system that is geographically diverse and subject to um, more attacks than a normal medical system. And a more, normal medical system is subject to plenty of attacks. So this gets very difficult, doesn't it? It's, 
It's quite challenging. Um, you know, we've had a lot of help uh, in a very positive way in our partnership with the DOD CIO's office to get the right security posture established for the system. Uh, you know, the system is in multiple data centers, too, to provide continuity of operations and disaster recovery. And there's very heavy cyber protections, both provided by the hosting provider, which is Cerner Corporation, uh, also supported by the department, uh, you know, the network defense provider, uh, which is Spaywar at the moment, um, also provides guidance and support to secure the system. So it gets lots and lots of attention. Um, and frankly, that attention's warranted. So. so we got a big system, a lot of risk. So what was the acquisition strategy to procure this commercial replacement for the legacy system? Well, I think uh, the dim sum acquisition departed, I think, in some significant ways from the way they've acquired commercial systems in the past in a very appropriate and smart way, frankly. Number one, when they laid out the system requirements against which all offerers would propose, they had very high-level statements of requirement. And what that does is multiple commercial products don't look at those requirements and say, I can't manage to those detailed requirements. My product doesn't do that. And therefore, I'm not interested. So they would write broadly stated clinical requirements that relate to ambulatory health or surgery or obstetrics uh, or oncology. And then Every offerer can look at those requirements and say, my product does, in fact, provide that commercially, and therefore I have a, a path to propose in a way that's compliant. And that was really the primary acquisition strategy that they did. The other very smart thing that they did, quite frankly, was right up front, they recognized that it was going to take 18 months to procure this. It's a very rapidly moving technological environment in health. Therefore, they knew that whatever was put together during that process at the point of award would probably be a little dated. And they structured the contract to have the flexibility, you know, post-award and frankly throughout the contract, to have the agility, contractual agility and flexibility uh, to adjust. And that, in fact, has worked quite well uh, during the first two years of the contract. So, uh, and... Um, and as we move forward in time, it also gives them the ability to take future advances in technology and integrate those into the program without a lot of contractual mechanics. It's almost building a house and knowing it's going to take 18 months and anticipating changes in the basic elements of the house while you're building it. It's, it's so difficult. Exactly right. And once again, it's a little unusual, frankly, in these commercial procurements. Um, but it was visionary, I think, on behalf of the department, and it's worked quite well. So. Great. We are going to pause here for a short break. My guest today is Doug Barton, Senior Vice President, Chief Technology Officer, and Chief Engineer, Lidos Health. I'm your moderator, John Gilroy, on the discussion military health and the move from legacy systems. Sponsored by Lidos on Federal News Radio 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com. For decades, Lidos has been trusted by government and business to solve complex challenges with the application of IT, engineering, and science. This year, gain transformative insights from thought leaders at Lidos, ranked number one in government IT and systems integration on top-of-mind topics including cloud, legacy systems, IT modernization, open systems, and cybersecurity. Hear more at federalnewsradio.com by searching Lidos. That's L-E-I-D-O-S. Welcome back to the discussion, Military Health and the Move from Legacy Systems, sponsored by 
Lidos on Federal News Radio 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com. My guest today is Doug Barton, Senior Vice President, Chief Technology Officer and Chief Engineer, Lidos Health. I'm your moderator, John Gilroy. All kinds of challenges when you move from one big system to another big system. Just um, real quickly here, maybe three or four of the big challenges in this big change for you, Doug. Well, first and foremost, technically, there was a question of scale. And uh, 9.6 million beneficiaries leads to a very, very large system. There's 150,000 roughly uh, MHS employees, doctors, nurses, administrators that, that manage that system. When you bring in Guard and Reserve, that number grows by another 50,000. So there's a very large number of users, and there's a very large number of beneficiaries. In addition, uh, in the current system, there's roughly 3 million ambulatory encounters a month and roughly 35 to 40,000 inpatient encounters a month. So it's a very, very large system. Generally speaking, if you look at commercial implementations of similar scale, like Kaiser, they break the system up into multiple pieces because there isn't, in fact, continuity of care absolutely required except through data interchange between somebody that's getting care in Northern California and somebody that's getting care in Southern California. People don't move around quite as much. In the Department of Defense, however, you're changing location, PCSing as they say, every three years. And so you can be anywhere in the world that uh, the DOD has you know, forces deployed. Therefore, your record needs to move with you and be constantly available. That drove us to an architecture that um, has a single instance for the entire department in a single location where the data is already integrated uh, by definition. And therefore, when you scale that up uh, to what they call full operational capability, which will be a number of years in the future, you've got a very, very big system. If you combine that by taking a commercial product and adding some of the additional cybersecurity requirements that are not to commercial standard but are to DOD standards, some of those do in fact have uh, system performance and system flexibility ramifications. Uh, so you've got a little bit of headwind there uh, on the performance side that also needs to be managed. So it's a, it was a very challenging implementation. The system's live at the first four sites. They call that initial operational capability. It's up in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, the first site went live in February of 2017. We're now in a process, an acquisition process uh, called operational test and evaluation, which would lead to a full deployment decision, which is an acquisition milestone decision uh, in May of this year. So. I think we've worked through those challenges. Um, as we move into the future, when we really start to scale up, uh, we'll have to keep a very careful eye on yeah. how that scale impacts current performance. Legacy systems have important information. And uh, when you talk to software developers, they uh, they cringe when you talk about data extraction and conversion. But this is part of the process, isn't it? Because there's existing data has to be pulled into the new system. Uh, indeed. And, and once again, the department recognized that prior to award as part of their acquisition strategy. And they did several things that uh, were unusual and, frankly, in my view, very, very smart. Number one, they established a sister program called DMIX. And roughly a year and a half to two years before Dim Sum was even awarded, DMIX was in the process of working with the legacy systems to create infrastructure to provide that data in a consumable form to DMIX when it came online. So they got a two-year jump, as it were, on the challenges of taking that legacy data, understanding where it sits, getting it rationalized, and making it available. That's number one. Number two, at the point of IOC, the plan was working with the clinical community 
to select those data that were clinically most crucial and only in the first order bringing those data elements into the new system. So as opposed to bringing the entire record over, which can be quite challenging, they brought over what's colloquially called the PAMFI data, you know, procedures, problem list, allergies, medications, and immunizations. That data is required on a patient safety and clinical care basis to be made available. Uh, there's future plans to manage the rest of that data, but the combination of giving another program a head start on a very hard problem, number one, and number two, being thoughtful about how much data they needed to migrate at IOC to provide clinical care, um, made that problem much more manageable and frankly didn't have the effect that legacy migration has on almost every other such system I've worked with, which is significant delivery delays. Yeah. We delivered on schedule or very close to on schedule. So you have a, a large system you have to bring in previous information, a large system you have to interop with other systems as well, and everything's changing. This is a moving target. Uh, well, as you can read in the news, uh, interoperability in healthcare more broadly is a significant challenge. Um, what we have is a commercial system that works to the state of the practice. So if it's within the bounds of current commercial practice, and if you're in the business, you'll know about uh, you know, the direct protocol, what used to be the connect protocol for information exchange, uh, the primary data standards, which are HL7, uh, the CCDA or consolidated clinical document architecture formats, FHIR, which is fast health interoperability resources, all those basically come integrated into the product because they're part of the commercial standards that are out there. Even more so, e-prescribing interfaces are already built in. So if I need to send it to CVS at the corner, that's already built in. Um, if you need to send it out to Quest for a laboratory, that's called reference labs. Those protocols are built in. Public health reporting's built in. So we had a, a leg up. Then the challenge was for those DOD unique business systems, uh, most especially the master patient index, uh, which is called DEERS. Those were simply integrations, um, which frankly were challenging. Um, but, you know, we if you reduce the scope of your problem just to the DOD-specific elements, you've got a manageable situation. We are going to pause here for a short break. My guest today is Doug Barton, Senior Vice President, Chief Technology Officer and Chief Engineer, Lidos Health. I'm your moderator, John Gilroy, on the discussion, Military Health and the Move from Legacy Systems, sponsored by Lidos on Federal News Radio 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com. For decades, Lidos has been trusted by government and business to solve complex challenges with the application of IT, engineering, and science. This year, gain transformative insights from thought leaders at Lidos, ranked number one in government IT and systems integration on top-of-mind topics including cloud, legacy systems, IT modernization, open systems, and cybersecurity. Hear more at federalnewsradio.com by searching Lidos. That's L-E-I-D-O-S. Welcome back to the discussion, Military Health and the Move from Legacy Systems, sponsored by Lidos on Federal News Radio 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com. My guest today is Doug Barton, Senior Vice President, Chief Technology Officer and Chief Engineer, Lidos Health. I'm your moderator, John Gilroy. Well, you pick up the newspaper, you talk to everyone, everyone's worried about information assurance and cybersecurity. So how... Uh, do information assurance requirements differ between commercial electronic health records and the DOD? 
as I briefly alluded to earlier, uh, in addition to providing clinical care, the health systems within the military health system have a requirement to support what they call medical readiness, which is military readiness. So there's a whole separate process to make sure that when you want to deploy your unit, that unit is medically ready to deploy. And you would be surprised at how often service members cannot deploy because they have dental issues that have not yet been resolved or medical issues that have not been resolved. Therefore, when you take a body of information about active duty military personnel, you not only can ascertain their health status, which is protected health information, which is federally protected generally by HIPAA, you can also ascertain something about the readiness of the unit to deploy, which is clearly germane. Uh, it's a national security interest. So there's a high level, higher standard of care in terms of information assurance. It's appropriately provided to medical systems within the Department of Defense. And that imposes um, on commercial products that aren't accustomed to, to working to this level of security additional requirements that have to be worked through. And so we got a two-year run at it, fortunately, to working with the department, both uh, DHA, which is the Defense Health Agency, and the DOD CIO's office to see to it that we could construct an information assurance program that was appropriate to the data that was being protected uh, and also appro appropriate to the higher level of sensitivity to that information. But even with that additional requirement, if you take a step back and look at the requirements for protected health information, first and foremost, there are HIPAA regulations, both the privacy, privacy and security regulations, which are adhered to by commercial entities generally. When you move into the federal space and start to look at additional regulations, uh, for instance, uh, there's something called controlled unclassified information. Well, PHI is a category of controlled unclassified information that has additional regulatory requirements placed upon it. And if you look at DHS requirements for critical infrastructure, healthcare systems and the systems that the software and systems that support their function are defined as critical infrastructure, which puts yet another collection, you know, of federal requirements and demands on that data. So the mere fact that it's both CUI, as they say, and critical infrastructure, in addition to the fact that it has military national security relevance, increases uh, the requirement for strong cybersecurity protections. Those were planned for and accommodated in the go-live process. So we currently have authority to operate, um, but we have to maintain that status in, over time. And there's another layer on top of all this complexity is system availability. So how is system availability and continuity of operations assured in these newer systems? Well, the the good part about that is, is that uh, if you look at a commercial healthcare system, they have a very similar availability requirement that you would see in the DOD. They, as a matter of fact, they have words for it like clinical availability. It's almost a utility level standard of service with very, very high uh, availability requirements. So these products inherently are engineered as single instances uh, to be very, very internally redundant, uh, and to have high availability characteristics. In addition, of course, we have a continuity of operation and disaster recovery site uh, that can take the full burden of the primary site should the primary site become unavailable. Uh, and those are kept in real-time synchronization. So we had an advantage in this instance working with commercial product that they effectively had the same availability requirements that the DOD had, made it easier. 
Look at your calendar here. It's been, I think, almost a year now since the first IOC win, and there's two or three other ones besides that. That's right. So let's let's look forward in, in a couple calendar years out. So so what's the future for the program? Well, uh, a demanding one. As we get through operational test and evaluation and get a full deployment decision, which should be expected sometime in the late spring, uh, then they start the process of going through what they call waves, of which there's currently 24 defined, and roughly speaking, every three months, another 15 or so sites will be brought onto the new system. Uh, that's a very demanding process. That said, the lessons that we learned through our IOC sites inform our thinking about how to most appropriately do that. Um, and we basically need to turn it into, you can almost think of it as a machine, right? Every quarter, you bring on another 15 sites, and you do that for the next five and a half years until the remaining 700-plus sites are, are brought online. Uh, in addition, in that time period, there's going to be changes in technology. And we have contractual availability and flexibility to also insert those into the systems as we move forward. So it's not as simple as I have a system, I'm going to just roll it out 700 times. I have a system, it will continue to evolve uh, with the technology at the same time that I'm rolling out the rest of these systems. So it's... um, It'll be a challenging process, but I think what we learned in the IOC deployments uh, inform our thinking. And, and this kind some, of the concept of continuous right. improvement is exactly right. what you elucidated exactly right. upon there, wasn't it? I mean, this is what we're talking about because things are changing and technology is getting better and faster. And a primary benefit of having a commercial system or commercial components built into the system is they're constantly having to improve to meet the demands of the market. The DOD doesn't have to invest in that. They've already effectively purchased that uh, technological advancement. All they need to do is schedule the insertion of that technology into the system as we move forward. Looks like geographically it was focused on the Pacific Northwest. It's going to move across the United States, I hope, huh? Uh, it will move down the coast. Uh, San Francisco will be the next area that will go online. Then effectively it moves across the coast. Uh, about 80% of the sites are CONUS, continental United States. There's also a Pacific and a European footprint that would be the last two areas to do. Um, so yeah, it's a big system. Yeah, great. Well, uh, it's a fascinating discussion, but unfortunately, Doug, we're running out of time here. I'd like to thank today's guest, Doug Barton, Senior Vice President, Chief Technology Officer, and Chief Engineer, Lighthouse Health. Health. I'm John Gilroy on Federal News Radio 1500 AM. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsradio.com and search Legacy Systems. Thank you for listening to this week's Legacy Systems Insight Show, sponsored by Lidos on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. The entire program can be found on demand at federalnewsradio.com. Search Legacy Systems. Sharing has never meant as much as it does now. We share the things we love most in life for the world to see. But what if we could actually do more with our sharing than just collect likes? What if this sharing could be used to make a difference? Now there's a place where we can put all that sharing to good use. The National MS Society is asking people to make a difference and share what they love with someone else who loves it too. Whether it's surfing, dancing, or whatever is important to you, we've created a place that'll help you get your experience out to the world. If you have a story, share it. If you have a solution, share that too. 
Join us at wearestrongerthanms.org. Because together, we are stronger.